Today we have Kim Marks Malone. She's the PR journalism professor and the online PR major coordinator at the University of Memphis. She's also the faculty advisor for MEMA 901. And today she's here to talk to us about the importance of education and PR, what it's like to kind of pursue this field, how to get that education, and, and how important it is to stay up to date with PR as you move through your career. Kim, we're so excited to have you here as a, um, you know, something we like to say is that we're all lifelong learners in this field, and it's just really, it, education is such a huge part of our job, and to stay on top of what's happening in the industry, what's happening in the news, things like that, so education is definitely a big part of all of our jobs here. We're so excited to have you. Well, that's one of the reasons we kind of started the boilerplate is because we really thought it was important to, to open up as, as much of this information to as many people as we could. And so it's something that we use every day and we're really excited about. And so we just wanted to kind of bring that to everybody else. Um, so I'm really excited that you're here and I'm excited to hear what you have to say about, you know, just learning and keeping that going in PR. I'm so excited too, because you'll hear me say it a lot. And I tell the students this all the time, don't become a PR person if you don't want to keep learning your whole life because our field changes so fast and so frequently and often that you have to stay on top of it. Especially when you're working with so many different industries, right? Exactly. It's crazy. So Kim, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career path. Well, I have an unusual career path. I'm actually a retired Naval Public Affairs Officer. I retired from the Navy in 2015 and started teaching at the University of Memphis that same year in 2015 in the fall semester. Um, so I, I kind of took the long way around. Before I joined the Navy, I was actually a working journalist. So I, I made that leap from the, the dark side over to, well, maybe from journalism to the dark side <laughs> is what we like to say. Um, and here in Memphis, I not only do I teach at the University of Memphis, but I also have my own you know, kind of side business to keep my fingers in the profession. And I have a few nonprofit and small business clients that I work with trying to help them tell their story and manage their social media. So, so what was that transition like moving from a more journalistic approach to the Navy to PR. Can you kind of talk us through that a little bit? It was interesting. So I, I was a small town reporter. I worked in the Colorado Springs at a string of community newspapers. So I did a lot of features, a lot of um, bake sale stories, you know, school sports stories. Um, then I joined the Navy and I was a journalist in the Navy for 12 years. So I, it was fantastic. I got to cover all sorts of news and tell the world what the Navy does. And then I got my commission and became an officer and became a public affairs officer, which is really all about public relations. It's the Navy's equivalent of being a PR pro. So lots of crisis communications, as you can imagine, lots of speech writing, lots of community relations. So when I retired from that, um, I had gotten my master's. And I loved going to school, and I loved the interaction I had with the students. So when I was getting my master's, I, I was like, this is what I want to do when I retire. I want to teach and at that level. Um, and the stars aligned, I don't know how it happened, and everything fell into place. And I managed to get a full-time job at the University of Memphis, you know, doing my dream. So <laughs> I went from one dream job to the next, and I'm quite happy with it. Wow, what That's, a storied, we, yeah. storied <laughs> history and career path for sure. Can we do a separate podcast on how to get <laughs> yes. into Yes. <laughs> yes, I've gotten lucky so far. So. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's great. Um, something you uh, just touched on, actually, in uh, speaking about crisis communications and how 
you know, we've, we've touched on that in the past and how so many times when people think about public relations, they think about reputation, management, you know, it's your CEO said something that you've got to, you know, quickly retract or it is essentially a, a crisis that you've got to manage and communicate to the public. Tell us a little bit about that and, and whether that's, um, you know, PR professionals just starting their career or, you know, someone who's been in their career for some time, when it comes to crisis communications, what what do you feel like are the most important things to remember? I think whenever you're dealing with a crisis, um, I think that probably more seasoned professionals are better at it, only because they've been doing it long enough and they understand the ins and outs. And one of the keys when you're dealing with a crisis is you, you really put on that counselor hat and that senior executive advisor hat and a lot of um, you know junior folks coming out of school won't have that experience and they get all clammy and they kind of get they don't have that relaxed cool calm exterior in the time of crisis um, but really you have to just think about the big picture and you really have to take that long view depending on how bad the crisis is and how bad the damaged reputation's been it might be something you can recover from really simply and it, it's just an apology and then you know moving on being transparent you know kind of walk in the talk. Um, but sometimes if it's a really bad crisis, maybe it's, you know, you've spilled oil in the Gulf and that's going to last for a very long time. You have to be able to think strategically and take that step back and really be able to think of the second and third and fourth order effects and be able to explain to your boss or your bosses, the board, whoever is concerned about it, um, why you need to take the steps that you're recommending and how it's going to impact them um, and be able to really put all those pieces together strategically. And it takes some experience to be able to do that. It, it really does take experience, and it takes proper preparation and planning and strategic thought. So ensuring that you have a strategic plan in place and that you've you know, you've gone through the motions, you've actually prepared and you've prepared the stakeholders or anyone who is going to be participating in that crisis communications plan, make sure that they're prepared and, and well-versed and, you know, the, the steps that you're going to take. That's extremely important. That, you know, it's not something that we really like to talk about in PR. It's not the pretty <laughs> side of PR. But that said, it is such a crucial part of our profession and it's something that, everyone in this field could stand to learn more and to grow in their craft when it comes to crisis communications. Yeah. One thing I really like that you said too, and I think this, it is in the crisis part, but it also is in the pretty side of PR, is that when you're communicating, it's really important to be confident and to, to be able to clearly communicate what you're trying to say. So the preparation, Beth, that you were just talking about is important. But it's also important, especially if you're new, to be able to project that kind of air of confidence to know what you're talking about and to just really be able to, to tell people what you're thinking in a way that's going to comfort them in, in crisis, but uh, also get them excited in, in some of the other stuff that you do. Being genuine, being authentic in your initial you know, outreach or whatever it is that you come out with, it, that that's got to be, that's got to stand, that's got to be, you know, people have to believe what you're saying when you and come out. You really have to focus on being transparent, too. And um, you have to be able to convince your boss or bosses that you have to tell them the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you have to be fully transparent about the ugly. If you are the cause, if you as in your company is the cause of the, the crisis, you have to take ownership of it and be able to stand up with confidence but with empathy and, and you know, hey, this is our fault. We did it. We apologize. This is what we're going to do to fix it. Yeah, I think that transparency is really key. 
when you're working with some of your newer students, what are some things that you teach them to, you know, help them prepare for situations like that, to help them be transparent, to have those big conversations? Oh, it's something, it's hard to teach sometimes, especially if, if you've never been in a situation like that. Um, but one of the keys is I find that my students, they only want to talk about the good things. Uh, so, you know, even if we have a, a, a virtual client or if we have a nonprofit that we bring in to do like service and experiential learning, um, they don't want to talk to the client about anything they find that they don't think is really good. So if they do a social media audit, for example, on the client, and the client only posts on Facebook like once a week and, you know, their Twitter account's been dormant for six months and, you know, they, they're on Instagram, but they're really not on Instagram. The students have a hard time going to that client and saying, hey, it's good that you're on these platforms, but you're not doing a very good job at it. And really walking them through, um, one, making them understand why um, you're telling them this and that it's not, you know, you're not saying they're bad or wrong, but you're just trying to get them to understand how the tool should be used. And then having the student be able to... Um, very confidently make a recommendation and tell the person, the client, you know, you really need to be on Facebook three times a week and this is why and this is how we're going to help you. Um, they always want to shy away from that. They feel like it's confrontational and they don't want to do it. <laughs> so that's been, that's, that's usually, we do a lot of role play and we're great with the clients we do work with in Memphis who are so awesome and they understand that working with students. And so, you know, they kind of get that they have to be patient and, you know, kind of sometimes pull the student toward the right answer. So, um, but really it's, you just have to do it and you have to be in that position and get used to doing it uh, before you get very good at it. Yeah, that's great. I'm, it's awesome that you guys are able to create some of those opportunities. And like you mentioned earlier, you said this is kind of your dream job. So what do you love about PR, about not just teaching it, that too, but just kind of the field in general? I love public relations. It's funny. I never thought I would when I was a journalist. I was like, I'll never do PR. Um, but I love it. And the thing I love about it most is I'm a, I'm a huge introvert, believe it or not. But I really get great pleasure and just joy from working with especially small businesses and nonprofits, but anybody, helping them tell their story. Everybody has a story. Every business you know, started because someone had a dream of some sort. And being able to help folks explain that dream and show people that dream and get other people excited about it is something I enjoy. And the other thing I love about PR is I get, I have ADHD. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, yeah. So, I think you have to. It's a prerequisite for yeah, this and, field. And I love the fact that in public relations, I very rarely work on the same type of thing from day to day. You know, one day I'm doing a press release and I'm working with a restaurant. And the next day, you know, you're dealing with the crisis for somebody else. And then maybe you're, you know, helping somebody write a speech. So it's something different every day and different industries. And um, it's kind of all around fun. Yeah. Well, it's, it goes back to what you were talking to earlier about just kind of being somebody who likes to learn and being in public relations. As a writer, I kind of feel the same way. Those are the exact same things that I love about it. I love storytelling. It's, you know, communicating for a business or for a person is a different kind of storytelling than what people normally associate it with. Mm -hmm. But it's still really powerful. And it's cool to see those stories really affect people in their lives. And so I totally get that. And yeah, the, the ability to, to learn something new every day is Awesome. It is one of the key things that we talk about and love so much about our jobs. It's it's so interesting and um, something that you mentioned earlier about the storytelling aspect of our jobs is, you know, so much of what PR used to be, it was media relations mm -hmm. and that earned media aspect. And so much of what we do now, while that still is a big part, so much of what we do now is about the owned media portion. And it goes back to that storytelling. And that's a huge 
huge aspect of, of our jobs, and it's uh, something that just really, it's empowering for us as PR professionals, but it's also empowering for the clients that we have the opportunity to work with because then they can have that way to come out into whether that, whether that's the media, whether that's on their website with their own story, um, and then, you know, we can expand upon it from there. So I think that, that the storytelling aspect is such a tremendous part of what we do. Uh, Kim, so you've clearly had a tremendous impact on my career personally and my career development through our work together through PRSA Memphis and through the APR process, which we'll get into shortly, but uh, and obviously plenty of other young professionals at the University of Memphis and throughout your career. But what kind of opportunities do you feel public relations offers to professionals looking to get their start? Why would they, why do you feel like PR is, is a good uh, profession to pursue? And what kind of opportunities from a professional standpoint do you see? I think that public relations is a fantastic field for people to pursue because so many people, they have that interest in different things. They're not quite sure what you know, what they want to be when they grow up. Uh, my favorite thing to tell people is that everyone needs a PR person. They just don't know it yet. So if you're a student and you've got some good creative skills and you're, you like to write and do all the kinds of skill sets that a PR person would do, you can pretty much take anything that you love. If you love fashion, if you love music, food, business, healthcare, pick a topic and you can go into it as a public relations person. And I think that's so fantastic because it doesn't limit a student. Um, students come to me all the time and they're like, I really love fashion and I fashion blog on the side, but I don't know what I'm going to do with my public relations degree. And I'm like, go do PR for the fashion industry. Find a designer, fashion week, find a fashion house, a retailer. There's all sorts of opportunities for you. So I think the one thing that's great about PR is that you can turn that passion that you have or that really big interest or even a hobby you have into your full-time job doing public relations with or for that industry or that niche. Um, I would agree wholeheartedly with that, and I love what you said about everyone as a PR student. Everyone has some sort of passion, and we all need and at times give strategic counsel. So why not make a career out of it? And you can. You know, we've got fitness experts. Um, Vaughn, one of our um, website developers, uh, he is a, you know, ultra marathoner and a CrossFit gym owner. And he started a podcast um, based on his love of fitness. And that's just something that's really empowering. And knowing that you can take your hobby, you can take your passion and turn it into your dream job. Your dream job. And I think I love about PR is that we, um, we kind of take care of our young professionals. We really, you know, most of us are very excited about growing the profession. And so there's all sorts of opportunities for young professionals to, to network and to meet other young professionals and to kind of find mentors and come up in the field, you know, especially if they're members of an organization like PRSA. You know, they have a young professionals network with more than a thousand young professionals across the country and internationally. And they do events, they do training, they do webcasts and meetups. And so there's all this opportunity to really connect with other, you know, young professionals who have the same interest. And then to meet up with mentors and folks who are seasoned in the field who really want to take you under their wing and show you the ropes and kind of help you advance in your career. You had mentioned just a minute ago that PR just kind of encapsulates a lot of different skills. So what are some of the skills that you look for in students, or what are some of the most important things that you try to grow with them? So writing is my number one thing I try to drive home with my students. that they have, You have to be a good writer. 
And I always inevitably have one or two students who raise their hand and they say, but Professor Marks, I left journalism because I didn't want to write. <laughs> and I say, you might be in the wrong profession. <laughs> so writing skills. You have to be able to write to tell that story. And you have to be able to write more than just that pithy little tweet. Um, you have to be able to write you know, full-blown, grammatically correct sentences. Um, so that's something we work on a lot in every class we teach is, is how to write. So everybody has to let, write at least three sentences before they can yeah, At least three. <laughs> okay. And they have to, you know, have the right commas and, you know. Oh, AP style, AP please. style, yes. Uh, so we drive that home with them all the time. Yeah, and thinking about writing too, you know, it's, there's feature writing and then there's news writing. They're so different, but they're so connected as well. You've got to be able to, you know, write for that owned media story, that blog post or whatever that more long for, long form content piece is, and then turn that around and make that a pitch to the media or turn that around and make that in, and repurpose it into a social media post, you know, so making sure that you're well-versed and you're versatile in your writing is extremely yeah, important it's very too. important. And trying to convince, uh, you know, the students sometimes that they have to be able to do all these different styles of writing because writing, like you said, writing a blog post is way different than writing a news release. Right. Um, and trying to get them to understand the differences. So there's lots and lots of writing skills going on. It's hard to teach that. It's hard to teach voice and style. It's and very hard. You know, how do you, how do you get convey to somebody, um, so you're going to work at an ad agency or a PR agency you're going to manage lots of accounts. So what voice is you know, each of those accounts going to have? And they look at me and they go, what? What do you mean, what voice? Right. <laughs> so that's always fun. Um, the other skill that we really try and drive home with folks is the ability to do data analytics and to interpret data. Um, and then, then there's always the folks who say, who are kind of like me, and I'm, I didn't join PR because I liked math. <laughs> but, but math or, you know, basic math, don't want to scare anybody away, is becoming so important with the ability to be able to show the return on investment of what you're doing and show and demonstrate how is it meeting, how is it advancing the, the organization's goals and how is it contributing to that bottom line because at the end of the day, everybody has to make money. So we really drive home how to measure um, campaigns, how to measure media relations, and then what to do once you get all that data. You know, how do you crunch those numbers and make sense out of it, analyze it, and then present it to your client or your boss in a way that makes sense? Something that is really interesting that you just touched on about analytics. Um, you're you're exactly right in that that has become such a tremendous part of our job. One of the things that we like to do, and as you also mentioned, is really, especially when we first establish a relationship with a client is talk to them about what are their goals, what are their company goals, and then making sure that we are aligning our PR plans to those goals, our strategies align with those goals, our tactics align with the strategies, and that we create a dashboard or a report, if you will, that measures every single thing that we do because what gets measured gets done, and once we're measuring and tracking and reporting on our efforts, we can course correct as needed, and that's extremely important. And with the rise of Google Analytics and the ease of use with mm -hmm. Google Analytics, just about everything that we do from a press release to a social media post, blog post, an event, whatever that may be, everything is typically driving back to a client's website or a blog. Google Analytics is a tremendous asset for reporting on our efforts, on our initiatives. And so having a little bit of an analytical mind is crucial to this 
field for sure. Yeah, we have all our students get Google Analytics certified, and they also get Hootsuite certified, and they get Cision certified, and they get you know HubSpot social media manager certified. Um, any kind of certifications we can have them get. Um, the company, especially companies who will work with students and you know, don't charge a ton of money for it, uh, we tell them the more certifications you can get, the more you can expose yourself to industry standard tools, the better off you're going to be when you try and find a job and you can say, you know, yes, I've looked at Google Linux. I understand how it works. <laughs> if I see those platforms on a resume, you can best bet that they're going to the top of my <laughs> right. list from a hiring perspective for sure. That, I mean, that, that information, those tools and the education that you get with those tools is extremely valuable and it's extremely valuable uh, to the, not only the work that you produce, but the relationship building with your clients because it shows them that you're not just throwing things up on a wall and seeing what sticks, that you are being strategic about everything that you're doing and you're measuring it. And again, so you can course correct or, you know, keep, keep going on on the same trajectory because it's actually working. Yeah. So I think it's clear for our students who are starting out, you want them to be a good writer. You want them to, to have some sort of analytics background to get these certifications. So it's kind of the baseline of skills that they want. Once they get into their career and they've been doing public relations for a while, what skills should they be looking to grow and what should they be doing to advance their career once they're into it? Well, I always tell my students that they really need to graduate with the hard skills. Uh, those skills that you can, you can measure, you can... You can test somebody on, if you will, when you hire them. You can, you can have them write you a press release as part of the interview, and you can see if they can write. Um, so I always tell them that once they get in the field and they've gotten really comfortable and they've nailed those hard skills, they need to really work on the soft skills. So if you want to advance in our field and eventually become an executive or a leader, you have to have soft skills. You have to have the ability to work on a team and to manage a team and to understand you know, how to do cross-disciplinary work on a, in an organization, work with people from different disciplines and you know, different levels of the organization. Um, you know, if, if you have to work with an engineer on a project, you, you want to be able to relate to that engineer and understand how that all works. Um, the other thing I tell them is, is work on your composure uh, because it comes back to crisis communications. And some people just naturally are composed and very calm in the face of chaos, um, but most people aren't. But it's something that you can train and I tell them that's something to work on, you know, you know, stop and take a beat and think, how am I reacting in this situation? Is it the appropriate reaction? Is it going to instill confidence in the people around me who need to depend on my guidance and counsel? Um, and then, of course, you know, creative problem-solving skills, being able to think critically and think strategically and um, see how all the parts fit together and to question things. You know, you think critically, don't just yes, yes, yes every time, you know, especially if it's your boss. Don't yes, 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 you know, give them the hard answer maybe not and this is why be able to question things um, and then of course always I tell them you're going to have to keep up with the news no matter what you do you have to stay on top of current events current trends um, kind of be able to forecast where trends are going and be able to explain to someone what is this trend you see how is it going to impact your industry your organization or even the PR profession itself um, and then leadership is a huge one Anytime you can get a leadership experience, I tell my students to take it, even if it's managing a team of two people or three people. Um, put yourself in those situations so that you start to understand how a leader thinks and what kind of decisions you have to make and what goes into leading a team. 
You hit on some amazing points just then. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me was about questioning things, and that goes back to having somewhat of an analytical mind and that you know, if you see something that looks off or you've seen something that's continued to decrease or something that just does not make sense, question it and then investigate it and then figure out what needs to be corrected or what needs to be added to your strategic plan to make sure that that moves in the right direction or that it's moving the needle for your client. And if it's an effort that you're just continuing to do because it's something you've always done, question that too. That's not something that you need to just continue to do. Um, and also you, you mentioned about monitoring trends, what's happening on a national scale that we can localize, what's happening within our clients' industries that we can position our clients as the expert on. All of these things, um, leadership, management, and all these different things, that all takes time. And you've got to be making, you've got to make sure that you're doing the work for your clients as well. So I think you've alluded to this a little bit, but time management as well is yes. such a crucial skill for anyone in their professional track, especially when it comes to public relations, because we are managing so many clients if we're fortunate enough to do that, but making sure that you prioritize things appropriately, that you're being realistic with the deadlines that you set with your clients, that you're being realistic with the deadlines you're setting for yourself, and that you're communicating appropriately within your team. That's so, so crucial. One of the things that I, I think, too, that's really important about these soft skills that you're talking about I think for young people, you know, students, young professionals, one of the hardest things to think about, it's like you said, they think some people just have this and they're good at it and I'm just not good at it. One thing they don't realize is how practicable these skills are, how, you know, if you have a meeting that you're going into, if you're going to give a presentation about kind of the, the future and these trends that you see, actually staying home and, and saying it out loud a few times, going through it, kind of practicing that it doesn't seem like something to a younger professional that's going to be that helpful, but it just makes you so much more prepared when you go in and you're just, you know what you're going to say. You've already said it a few times. If you can practice in front of people, that's even better. And so that's one that's really, really practicable. One of the things that we try to teach some of our junior uh, employees is that when they go into a meeting, just look for an opportunity to say anything. If it's not a meeting that you're leading, look for a chance to ask questions, look for a chance to offer some insight. The more you can vocalize and kind of make yourself known, one, you're going to make yourself more comfortable in that situation. You're going to be more okay taking chances and, and sharing your opinions. And then two, it's going to build other people's faith in you. And so as you're trying to move up in your career, when you're in this meeting with your boss, if you can say one smart thing in that meeting or ask one good question, you don't even have to know anything. If you can ask one good question in that meeting, that shows that you're paying attention, that you're an active learner, that you are really invested in that. And so, yeah, these soft skills that you're talking about are not things that are all just inherent. They're things that we can all actionably do to, to get better at. So, Kim, you're the faculty advisor for the student-led MEMA 901 Strategies at the University of Memphis. Tell us a little bit about that program. It's actually a really fantastic program. Um, a lot of universities have them. Ours in Memphis is fairly new. It started in 2014. Um, I took over it, um, oh gosh, two sem three semesters ago now, I guess. So it is um, a student-run strategic communication agency that incorporates all four of our department's majors. So you have students who are public relations majors, advertising majors, journalism print majors, and our newest major is the creative mass media major. So you have all these students who come together 
12 to 20 of them a semester, and they work with real-world clients, either doing pro bono, and sometimes we get paid, actually get paid to do the work, which students always love. Um, so we do work for on-campus clients like our department or fraternities who need videos and sororities who need videos. Um, we've done some work for the FedEx Institute there on campus. And we also work with some small um, businesses, some startups that are over at the Career Center. And we do work with a lot of local nonprofits. Um, and so it really gives the students a chance to feel like they're in an a, a little mini agency environment where they're you know, reporting to an actual client that has expectations of them. Um, it gives them a chance. There's a firm director, an assistant director. They all have positions. Um, and it gives them a chance to be responsible and to really see what it's like, you know, kind of to have to do the job and to deal with the issues. As the advisor, I don't step in unless I, unless I really see them struggling a lot. <laughs> and then I don't really do anything for them. I just kind of do that, you know, Socratic method of ask a question, try to lead them down the right path. Um, but I let the firm directors run the day-to-day -day operations. I let them all do their own client development. Um, they're responsible for um, keeping track of their own hours. They have to do 150 hours each semester. Um, we meet twice a week as a team. They do staff meetings. They do client meetings. The clients either come in or sometimes they'll actually travel and go see the clients. Um, so it's just this great opportunity for them to hone those skills and to also build their portfolios up because when they graduate, ultimately, they want to have some product they can show right. that they've done some work before. Yeah, I talk about the really, truly learning and executing the hard skills and the soft skills. What, what a, an invaluable experience for these students to really, truly have that agency life experience under their belt whenever they go and try to enter the real world. That's, that's really incredible. And you alluded to this earlier, Brandon, about taking ownership, you know, speaking up in a client meeting and things like that. This gives them the chance to do that, whether it's, you know, with the department, with their team, with a pro bono or a paying client. It's just that that experience is so incredible. So your clients that you work with, um, with Meme 901, do they seem to enjoy interacting with the students? What's that relationship like? Oh, they love it. Uh, most of them, you know, I always try to, well, whenever we have developed a client or the students bring a client into MEMA 901, I always kind of reach out and talk to the client and just make sure they understand that these are students. Um, so they're going to do really good work for you, but it might take a little longer than, than <laughs> you expect sometimes. Um, and there has to be a little give and take. Uh, we have never had a client yet that has complained about um, the process or the product or the professionalism. They are always very pleasantly surprised at the, how it all works out. Um, and a lot of them have actually, it's led to like paid internships and even beginning jobs for some of the students just from the experience they've had with MEMA and then reaching out and networking with some of these uh, clients that we have. So it's been a good experience all the way around. What is the onboarding process like for bringing on new clients to MEMA 901? It's probably a lot more drawn out than it is for you guys. <laughs> uh, so when we start the semester, we actually spend two weeks onboarding all of our team because you have a fresh new batch, except for one or two students who will carry over every semester. So we'll spend two weeks, and um, the firm directors and I have a little training before the semester starts, and then I leave it up to the firm directors to onboard the team, explain our processes, go over our contracts, and go over all of our files and how you log your hours and all those kinds of things. Um, they're also all required to write four to six blog posts every semester to put on Meeman's page because we also have to I tell them, you know, we're our own client. You know, you guys have to think about marketing and branding yourselves as well. 
Um, so then once we have the clients come in, the students will reach out and um, they do a lot of recruiting of clients on their own and bring them in. Once the client comes on board, this, we'll set up a team for them and the students will meet with them. Once the students establish and they have an initial client meeting and ask, you know, what do you, what do you think your issues are? What kind of things would you like for us to do? Um, they always do a full audit on a client. So I'll have them do a full social media and competitor and media audit on the client and sit down and really put together a proposal for the client that says, okay, here's what you told us you think you want or need, and here's what we've discovered and what we can do for you. Um, and then we have them sign a contract, just like they would if they were in an agency. So it spells out the expectations for both the students on what they need to do um, and the client on what they're going to receive, either you know, pro bono or if they're paying a small stipend for it. Um, at that point, I typically will reach out to the client on my own and just, hey, I want to touch base, I'm the advisor, you know, how's it going, um, can you give me feedback? Um, and then I pretty much stand back, and unless there's an issue, I don't step in. And the, the students run with it with a the client. They schedule all their own meetings. Um, they are the ones who, I let them have an internal uh, check and balance for their work so that if a team of three students is working on something for a client and they produce uh, collateral and a press release or whatever it is they produce, um, I'll have them get another team kind of to come over and to edit it with them and to give them feedback. Um, I have them role play if they're going to be doing client meetings. We have them role play so that they're kind of not doing it for the first time when they meet with the client and doing a presentation. And then we, um, at the end of it all, we always give the client a survey and we ask for their feedback on not only um, the students and how that experience was, but also on the products that they got and did it meet their expectations? Is it something that they actually will be able to use? Because um, there's nothing worse than doing a whole lot of work and then the client going, mm, I really can't use it yeah. after all. <laughs> um, so far, people have used it. If you go into the FedEx Institute and you walk in, there's these huge monster-sized posters um, that are in the lobby and then go up the stairs on every floor. And those are moving on to one student's work. So I'm very, right. very proud of them. Truly is student-led, a student-led process, which is, which is really cool. Speaking of processes, so something that you and I have in common, uh, the APR process, so that daunting, <laughs> daunting APR process, but that really goes back to the, you know, taking ownership of your career, taking ownership of your love for learning and the fact that you should never stop learning in this profession. So tell us just a little bit about the APR process and, you know, uh, I could obviously just kind of talk for days about it, but I just would love to hear from you, especially as someone who has served on the panel and someone who has served in a professional development uh, position with PRSA. Tell us a little bit about the APR process as you know it, as well as why you feel it's important for PR practitioners. Love to. I'm a big APR fan. If, if people don't know, APR is accredited public relations, so you're an APR professional. Um, it, it is kind of a lengthy process. Um, I'll just talk about the process first and then why I think it's so awesome. So the process, it sounds really simple, and it, it actually is when you get down to it. There's four steps. So the first thing is you decide that you want to do it. Um, you have at least five years in the field because you need that much experience to really be able to successfully complete the process. Um, and you apply, and you just go online to PRSA and, and you apply. The only caveat is, is that you need to be a member of one of the, I think there's nine now organizations that, um, that recognize and do this process, and PRSA is one of them. And so after you apply to do it, then you study a whole lot. And a you whole fill out lot, a I can attest to that. And uh, what you did was a readiness review. That has now changed. So now you study and you do what's called a uh, panel presentation. And that consists of a questionnaire you fill out that talks about your experiences, 
um, and some of the why you want to get accredited and what you're going to do with it and things like that. And then a portfolio that you put together that shows a campaign or some work that you've done. The panel itself is three of your peers who are APR already um, who look at your campaign and you walk them through it and they ask you questions. And it's really designed to, to measure those skills and that knowledge that you can't get on a test, those soft skills, if you will. Right. Um, so it's like, you know, they can on the test see if you understand theory and if you understand the planning process. Um, but in your portfolio and with the panel present presenters, they really get a feel for, you know, can you do a presentation? Do you understand how it all fits together strategically? And do you understand why you do the things you do? Um, so after you do the panel, then you study, study, study some more, and you take a computer-based exam. Four-hour. Four-hour. It is a four-hour exam. It's very long. Um, and at the end of the exam, you know, you'll know if you yep. passed or not, but you're not officially an APR until you get the letter from PRSA and the, the Universal Accreditation Board that says, congratulations, you've passed. The beautiful certificate that is now yeah. framed in my home. Yes. Yes. So um, I got mine a long time ago. I never got a certificate. I think I need to ask for one You now. should. You should. Um, but the whole process takes a year. So you have a year from the time you're approved um, until the time you have to have taken the test. And most people I talk to, and yourself included, will, will say that that whole year is pretty much spent studying and working on your questions and getting your portfolio together and really getting comfortable for that, that computer-based exam. Especially for someone who's been out of school for a little while, getting back into that mindset of studying and, as you said, theory, the history of public relations, problem solving. And what's so unique about the APR online exam is that there are a few answers that could be right and actually are right, but what you have to do is think strategically about what is the best the best right the answer. The best right answer, <laughs> but also what is the first step? So while several of them might be part of the process, you've got to think about, okay, what is the first thing that I've got to do in this certain scenario? So it, it really does change your mindset in terms of what you're doing. It, it makes you become more analytical. It makes you become a, you know, a better problem solver, and it makes you think about solving those problems and challenges that may arise in certain situations when you're putting together proposals for clients or when you're working with a certain client and trying to anticipate what might come up because of all the studying and everything that you've been through with the APR exam. I'll tell you, in addition to um, going back and getting my master's, getting my APR certification accreditation was the best thing I've ever done for myself professionally. It, I'm so thankful that I did it. I feel like it, it gives validation to everything that I've done up until this point. I feel like it's made me a better leader, a better, um, you know, it's made me more strategic in terms of the proposals that we put together, even just our strategic PR plans that we put together for our current clients. And it really is, there's, there's nothing better in my mind from a management standpoint and from a, just an overall strategic leadership standpoint, there's nothing better than going through the APR process. And those are all the reasons I love it so much. <laughs> I really do. And for folks who, who aren't, um, some people get it right after they get their master's because they go back to school and they're like, this is the perfect time because I've just studied all of this theory and history and all those things that you don't 
in your day-to-day -day work, you don't sit around and think about, you know, which theory am I going to use or, you know, what's the history? Who was the father of PR? Um, but folks who haven't got that master's experience but who've been working in this field for like 10, 15, or, you know, more years, um, when they go through the APR process, a light bulb comes on. And they realize they've been doing the four-step process of research, planning, implementation, and evaluation. They just didn't know what it was called. And once you show them that it is a process and what it's called and kind of help them to see they've been doing it, it changes their whole perspective on things. It's like a light bulb clicks, you know. And it, then they understand exactly. it all so much better. And I think the other thing is, you know, if, if you are wanting to advance in your career and you're, you know, maybe you just hit your five or six-year point and you take the effort and the time to go through the APR process, and then when it comes time for you to move on to the next big job, um, I think that, that APR behind your name is just something that really it shows that you are committed to lifelong learning and that you have learned how to think strategically and it can kind of set you apart from those other folks who maybe haven't gone through that process. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, thinking on down the road with your current students, with MEMA 901, with, you know, the clients who you work with, what, what are some PR trends that you see coming up in the next year that listeners should uh, kind of keep their ear to the ground or keep their eyes on? One of the things that, is, as an educator, you know, just in this communication mass media field that has really fascinated me in the last year or so is the levels of trust in media and in everything, just kind of really taking a nosedive. And the Edelman Trust Barometer for 2018 showed that um, 7 out of 10 people really worry about fake news or false news and they wonder about the source of the information that they're seeing, you know, who's paying for it, where's it coming from, what's the intent. Um, the other thing that I found fascinating was that 63% of the general population don't know how to distinguish between if something is real or fake or credible or not. Um, and I think as PR professionals, that really impacts us because folks, they don't, they don't want to think that the news they're getting is, you know, spun or if it's paid for. It's like a mini advertisement. They don't want native advertising in their face. Um, so it's really important to us to, to realize that trust is at an all-time low in organizations and media, but that trust of our peers and of people you know is really increasing. Um, so as a PR person, if you're trying to get your organization, you're trying to sell a product, sell a service, or just raise awareness, you want to think about those tactics and those strategies that are going to reach the everyday person because that word of mouth is what's going to get you, you know, on somebody's radar. Um, so influencers and influencer marketing and influencers and PR campaigns really has um, caught my eye and something I'd like to study more of. But more specifically, as we move into 2019, folks are starting to get away from the big influencers, the Kim Kardashians of the world who have a gazillion followers on Instagram and start looking at what we're calling micro-influencers. Mm -hmm. So those folks who have like 15,000 or less followers. And the reason they're doing that is because those micro-influencers, you may not get the potential of as many eyeballs on your message, but the folks who follow a micro-influencer have a better relationship. They have deeper engagement they are loyal to that micro-influencer they're following. And they're more apt to treat that person in their personal space as a peer, somebody they trust. Um, and they're more likely to take the advice. You know, micro-influencer says, the product X is the best thing since sliced bread. Their followers are more apt to go out and at least give it a try. 
or at least, you know, consider giving it a try. Right. Whereas the Kim Kardashian followers, you know, they're following everybody. They're, they're after the hottest trend. Right. So I think um, thinking about micro-influencing and that whole sphere and how do you get your client, your organization, your product, your service out in front of um, the people that um, can influence the people, your target audience, um, not necessarily the, the huge masses. So I think that's really good. And then I think the other thing coming down the pike that a lot of people resist, and even my students, believe it or not, resist, is artificial intelligence and AI and the role it's going to play in the jobs we do and how we do them. Um, my students don't even like to think about technology. Oh, it's going to take my job. Um, but no, you know, we should embrace AI when it comes to things like scheduling software and analytics and chatbots and all those things and let them do their job and make you more effective which gives you more time to think about those big strategic picture and how do you give that counsel and advice you know let let all the hard stuff be done over here by by an ai kind of thing and then the other thing is using digital storytelling i think the the, the buzzword right now is storytelling but i think it's going to continue to be the buzzword because there's nothing more moving or more effective to your audience than hearing a really good story told well with good visuals because you know pictures with a thousand words a video is worth a million words um, so really embracing that digital angle and knowing how to tell a story and use all the tools you know in your toolkit not sure. just words and when it comes to you know digital storytelling and really anything that you're doing and it goes back to trust like you were saying having that transparency being authentic you know, if you're going to leverage a micro-influencer, making sure that you are transparent and you're upfront with everything that you're promoting from the very beginning, and that's going to make, you know, that, that's going to help to increase awareness of whatever story it is that you're trying to tell, whatever product that you're trying to launch, whatever service it is that you're offering, you know, just making sure that transparency and authenticity are at the forefront of everything that you do. It was interesting to me a few minutes ago when you were talking about micro-influencers and how I think, you know, one of the biggest things that PR professionals seek is authenticity. Mm-hmm. You talked about it earlier, how important it is to be authentic. Uh, but it's it's kind of going beyond that, right, with fake news and everything else. It's just as important to be perceived as authentic, whether or not you are. And so I think that that's kind of the benefit there to the micro-influencers is even, beca- I think maybe because they have a lower following, they have less at stake. They, they aren't sponsored by anybody. And so there's just a, a deeper trust there that what they're telling you is authentic. Um, what are some ways that you think maybe a PR professional could engage with a micro-influencer and help them tell the story that they're trying to tell? I think you have to be really um, selective in the micro-influencer that you, you, know, you reach out to. I think before you even think about trying to get them to help you with a promotion or work in a campaign with you, um, you need to become very familiar with them. I mean, it almost needs to be somebody that you yourself, you need to follow them, but it needs to be somebody that you yourself would feel comfortable following. Um, you really need to understand uh, the level of engagement they have with their followers and how they engage. And then also just make sure that their message and the things they say on social media really do reflect your organization's values and you know, where you want it to be. Because they may look really good on the surface and then you start digging into, <laughs> yeah. maybe you start looking at how they comment back to their followers and maybe they don't have the right voice or the right tone. Um, so I think that's the most important thing is do your research. Um, really identify a couple folks that you're going to, do a deep dive on. Um, and then it comes all down to basic media relations and building that relationship. You know, you don't want to just cold call and spam them with things. You want to you engage with them on social media. You want to meet them where they're at. You want them to 
start to realize or when, when you reach out to them like oh yeah I have seen you respond to me on Twitter we've had a conversation back mm-hmm. and forth or yeah we have had some you know comments back and forth on Instagram I, I know I know your name I know who you are um, and then really you have to put a lot of effort into those pitches that you send them you have to craft the right kind of pitch um, and put a personal touch on it or they're just not going to look at it and read it so I think that it really the micro influencers and dealing with influencers in general really makes you use a lot of skills that um, that hopefully you all have worked on all those hard skills, you know, your writing and how you do the pitch and how you present and how you build the relationship. Um, and then, of course, making sure that it's a good fit at the end of the day for your organization. Speaking of building the relationship and engagement, that goes into social listening, too. So you talked about meeting them where they're at. So what are the types of conversations that they are engaging in? What are the keywords that they're using? What are the stories that they're pushing out or that they're commenting on? And making sure when you do craft that pitch, and you mentioned adding that personal touch, that you touch on, oh, hey, I saw that you followed so-and-so, or I saw that you commented on so-and-so article. Adding that and showing that you value what they do and what they have done resonates with you and with your audience, that's going to help you connect to them on a deeper level and hopefully help to extend that relationship for a long time to come. All right. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. This was incredibly informative. Yeah, and I, awesome. Your students are lucky. I feel like I've learned oh, a lunch thank you. today. Yes, so. I think I need to go back to school. <laughs> APR round two or something. APR round two. Yeah. Speaking of APR, though, did you know there's a student certification now? I didn't. So there, it's called the Certificate in Public Relations. A Wonderful. C- C-E-P-R. And um, a student who is within six months of graduating or six months after graduating goes through kind of a mini APR process. Okay. And um, they get a CEPR after their name, and it's supposed to be the bridge to that, you know, get them to that, to that five-year point. Um, and it's just another way students can kind of stand out and network and be seen and wow. you know, one more skill they can That's have. right. Well, I think after Meme in 901 and then now the student APR, I think they'll be ready to take on the real world for sure. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciated you coming out today. Thanks for having me. It was great. Talk to you soon. We were so excited to have Kim Marks with us today. You can find her on Twitter at ksmarks or email her at ksmarks at memphis.edu. We'll be posting the Meme in 901 Strategies student-made intro video on podcast.creativeinferno.com. You'll also find a link to their site, and you can get more episodes of The Boilerplate there. That's all for today. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you.